Hey everyone, welcome back to The Screenwriting Life. I'm Meg LaFove. And I'm Lorian McKenna, and welcome to part one of our two-part conversation with celebrated indie film producer, Ted Hope. Today, we'll be talking about indie film development, but stay tuned for our part two dropping next week, where we'll be chatting about the state of the business and indie production. Ted is an award-winning producer who is recognized as one of the most important champions of independent film in our business. Ted is co-founder of Good Machine, This Is That, and Double Hope Films. His credits include The Ice Storm, The Brothers McMillan, American Splendor, In the Bedroom, and Happiness. He parlayed his independent producing experience into launching and co-running movies for Amazon Studios, but has now moved back into the indie space, maintaining a first-look deal with the studio. His most recent production, Cassandro, directed by Roger Ross Williams and starring Gail Garcia Bernal, comes out this fall from Amazon Studios. Hey, Ted. Welcome to the show. I'm so honored to have you here. Thank you, Meg. Thank you, Lauren. I uh, was lucky enough years and years ago to be a, a mentor at the Sundance Producers Lab. And I, of course, had heard of Ted Hope. I was an admirer from afar. But to sit at a table and watch his mind work and work on story, and specifically for this episode today, was truly amazing and astounding. And I loved it. And so I was so thrilled, Ted, when you agreed to be on the show. I think that was the first uh Sundance Creative Producers Lab. It was. It was the very first one. That's how yes, that's how long ago. Uh yes, it was the very first one. Um, I also had I also had financing falling apart on a movie while we were doing it. But I <laughs> Which of course is what you well. remember. <laughs> Why yeah. wouldn't you remember that burned into your mind? Um okay, so first before we get into um talking with Ted, we're going to do our segment Adventures in Screenwriting or What Happened This Week, and Ted has agreed to join. So Lorian, start us off. How was your week? It was good. I um I was have been thinking about how lucky I am to get to be a part of this podcast and get to talk to these amazing people and how much inspiration and challenge I get from all of these writers and creators and directors and producers that we talk to. On a recent um, episode, we talked about it's not that I don't have to write, it's that I get to write. And so I've been really trying to start my day with that so that I don't feel the oh my God, I have so much to do and write. When am I going to find time to write? It's more like, oh, I get to do all these things and then I get to write, sort of carving out the time in that way. And one of the things that I miss since the pandemic is just being able to drive because that's when a lot of creative stuff sort of starts to bang around in my head. I recently had the opportunity to take a very long drive and I came up with two ideas for new TV pilots that I'm going to write. And both are very exciting to me, but because I had that long drive where I got to sort of like ruminate and sit around and roll with it, I didn't, I didn't give myself the opportunity to be like, oh no, I I can't do that. It's too complicated. It's too dumb. I got to go do the next thing. So I think part of it for me is I get to write, but I also get to carve out those spaces so I can walk or drive where I'm alone. And I get that blue sky internal rattling around in my own head kind of place because that's so fun. And I feel cheated of that in a big part because of the pandemic, because I wasn't driving back and forth all over, you know, the West side and the Valley and all that stuff. So I'm trying to be not optimistic because that's not my jam, but uh, I think it's generous with myself and my creative process. Uh, So that's where I am right now. Awesome. Awesome. And we'll see how long that lasts. 
Okay, yes, time stamp see. it. Let's see what happens next. Ted, yeah. how was your week? <laughs> well, first, just like getting to hear that and and react to it is so interesting to me, you know, and on a couple of uh, bases. You know, I, I run a pretty at a pretty high volume of projects, and it's me and the the creative team, whether that's a writer, director, or or you know, separate writer and directors, and one of the things that that I, I find as an indie producer, I, I'm not going to solve any problem with money. I'm only going to solve it with passion and insight. And everything is an exercise in building trust and confidence is how long you have to plan for. Right. You know that like I remember sitting down when I first went into Amazon and saying I wanted to allocate a minimum of three years for development of each of my projects. And on the series side, they were saying, but we only allocate six months. Why does it take you so damn long? Right. And I I think in some of it is like I get one shot to get it right. I want to get it get it right. How do you structure for that long term effect? Because when I think through my my week. I had uh, three writers, uh, three separate projects make like nice jumps, like in the in the race to complete the 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 where we were, like and these have been ongoing for well. Each of these projects are well over a year, closing in on a minimum of two years on it, and like done several times previously but then like wow things are firing again and like a new headway it, it uh, occurs and it, and i always try to think through how can we as collaborators engineer that process to get to that jump and certainly some of it is uh the the quiet time of pondering um i find it interesting like how we we inadvertently structure that like drive time. I, I do miss my, that I don't miss much having, having had a job that I had to go to, but I actually do miss my drive time. I, I take regular walks. Um, I take regular walks without headphones. I live on the West side in Santa Monica. And, you know, like today was interesting. It seemed like dad's day to walk the dog or the babies. All the dogs and babies are being writ walked by their dogs. But I actually look at people to see if they have headphones because I actually think the writers don't have headphones, right? Like I get great joy. Um, I write a, a newsletter on Substack, Hope, Hope for Film. My wife write, writes a, a newsletter on Substack, Question of Peace. We both wouldn't call ourselves writers, but we love doing this and we both look forward to it. And one of my problems is I know how I work. And so I have to do a really rigid cutoff line. I only get to write between eight and nine a.m., right? Except for the weekends I can write. And so I love that time. And so like, it's like, yes, I know I should be exercising, you know, during that time. It's a great time. And I, but I, but a lot of times when I um, have just a start of an idea, I use that writing time to kind of uh, that 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 time, that writing time as walking time to essentially outline what I'm going to say. Right. You know, so I was like, OK, I'm going to walk for, for 45 minutes and I should be able to produce 15, you know, headings 
15 subjects for, that I'm going to touch upon during that time. And I'm pondering, I'm looking at the blue sky, I'm looking at the dads or the moms walking the dogs or the babies. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm just, just keeping my head open. And it's the most refreshing thing that I get, you know, like, uh, I love both New York and LA. I was energized by the kind of random access inspiration you get in New York of just walking on the streets. You know, I see more people in half a second in New York City than I'll see on my entire 45 minute walk, you know, on the West Side here. Um, but I don't get like, the, you know, I might be firing on all synapses, but I won't get the in-depth thought to kind of solve it. And I think that in much the same way of my minor creative practice of, you know, writing a newsletter versus the, the longer term collaboration I have with the writers, finding those ways to kind of structure the, the breakthrough, the aha, right, um, is such a big part of the process that even, you know, I think I'm 35 plus years in on this now, like I'm still on. I'm finding new prompts, new methods to do it, new successes and new failures. And uh, like that's every week. And precisely like hearing like the, the joy of the two ideas from you, like I get to hear that idea of like the person that has been stilted or blocked, you know, thinking they're coming to the end, all of a sudden say, da 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 da, you know, um, and occasionally they say, God, thank you for being here with me through this process and doing it because you don't get much of that structure. Our industry hasn't structured that as, you know, whatever you want to call the producer in that equation is the 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 sounding board, the 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 person that pokes and provokes, you know, whatever it is that we we do, like let's think this out. We don't have much room to just ponder and wonder you know yes we don't and even when we do like me i suddenly start to avoid it <laughs> because uh my week is basically um taking walks very much in tune with you and um i have a new podcast i am listening to because i'm trying to avoid my writing so i'm not pondering and looking at the trees i'm actually just trying to ha listen to somebody else's world and uh, i'm listening to uh uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus's new uh, podcast called Wiser, where she's interviewing women in their 70s, mostly in their 80s and even beyond about what they learned about life. And the two takeaways I have for me personally was Jane Fonda talked about no as a complete sentence. And I was like, oh, right. Yes, I do not as a woman have to explain in a million different ways why I'm saying no to that. And because, you know, I say this to my son, you know, if you say yes to somebody else, you're saying no to you because you're giving that time away. And sometimes that's appropriate and sometimes it is not. Um, and the other one was um, Isabel Ayande, who, of course, her hour and a half was amazing. Um, but her and Julia had this whole riff on if you're creating, you have to love it. You have to be in it and love it. And you can't wait to get there. And you're so passionate about it. And she Isabel was like, and if you're not, then don't do it. And I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> I literally well, was like, oh, shit. 
As like, a writer for hire, that's always a little tricky, I was like, right? I don't, I don't, I very rarely feel like I can't wait. Like I just, that's just not me. I find it. And I know there are other very well-known writers who talk about it as torture. I'm in that camp over there until it isn't. And I know that like, sometimes it is my fear. It's the buildup. It's that it doesn't work. You know, uh, like Ted, like you were talking about and you haven't had that breakthrough or you're starting. Starting is always the most hard for me. I just can't get into the pool. I do not in real life jump into cold pools. I don't. I go down the steps very slowly, little bit, little bit, little bit. And that's unfortunately how I do my, how I do this. So, I mean, it was also just a good reminder that's how people's processes are, either what Lorraine and I are talking about on here each week. You have your own process and it's good to hear that Isabel loves, she's not passionate. She's not sitting down to write. I think that's spectacular. It's not me and that's okay. And that uh, we're all going to do our own process and I'm getting so in judgment about my process that I'm not doing anything. <laughs> so I just need to take a break. I've needed to take this mental break. I will start tiptoeing back down into the water until I find the passion and the enthusiasm and why I agreed to do the project to begin with. Um, so that one more thing about this, listening to you talk. Um, I realized that my process is very much, uh, binge, right. There'll be nothing. And I'll think, Oh my God, I have no more ideas. I'm the worst. I can't think of anything. And then all of a sudden I get the idea that I love. And I keep forgetting that every single time that, that, that fallow period is necessary somehow. I, I, and I forget. So right now I'm super energized and excited and I'm going to go dive in straight into the deep end of the freezing cold pool. But most of the time I don't even go to the pool. So it's sort of like, how do I, I'm really not that. Yeah, it is. My my process is nothing and procrastination and then worry and judgment about it or just full in binge. And by the way, I eat cookies the same. I either no cookies or I eat all the cookies. It's just how my brain works. Anyways, Ted, Ted's like, what podcast did I say I was coming on? (laughs) But but it's so interesting to me, you know, because. I I think like on on one hand, you you've defined indie, right? I don't like indie is a difficult term, not my favorite phrase, you know, but I would, I think what it actually encompasses for most people is passion and love driven by passion and love, you know, akin to French, the French amateur, like doing it, not professional, doing it for love. And that's kind of really the dividing line of professional screenwriting and indie screenwriting, right? That, uh, but I think a big pra- practice for everybody always is the, the broadening of our love, right? Like how do we find the things that that we enjoy that excite us in smaller and smaller details and start to start to feel like the, the secret alphabets that they start to put together, right? Like the connections that are that are there. And that is such a fun process. There's a great show um, up in New York at the Morgan Library. I'm not going to get the artist's name right. American female artist, uh, I think of Armenian background. Um, and it's called something like Uncommon Denominator. And she uh, had the curators of the library pick uh, some articles that they loved that had never been exhibited. And then with her work and other things that she liked, she put together a connection. It's like one long sentence, the whole exhibit. 
and it, and it kind of shows the kind of ready-made nature uh, of art. It shows our common inputs. It shows how, you know, art and conspiracy is often about like filling in the blanks that really are not there. One creates art and the other thing creates some sort of wild, you know, theory that doesn't probably have much to do with the real world. But they they operate in that when we see two things, we want to understand how they fit together. Right. You know, and that gives birth to a lot. The more that we find that we cherish in different little ways from objects to people to places to processes along the way, the longer we can have that spark that helps us dive in. I, you know, like I have to sometimes, I've worked so hard to develop my breath that sometimes I have to like push these other things down because I'm faced not with one wormhole or rabbit hole, but 20 in front of me at the same time. It's just like, ah, what am I going to do? What am I going to decide? I feel seen. I feel seen by this wormhole (laughs) analogy. I'm getting a little, I'm losing my breath right now just thinking about it. So Ted, let's say you've got these wormholes in front of you, which are probably personal, but also professional in terms of the different projects that you have and what's working, what's not. I'd love to just take you take it through, um, you know, what, why, why would you choose a project as a producer and then developing that project? You know, there's the vision of the filmmaker, uh, but there's also your input and getting them past their blind spots. So can you take us to those through those two steps for you in the development process? Sure. Um, the, the first part of like selecting to sign on for a project you know, is really like how your own radar or pattern recognition works at assessing somebody's uh, devotion to reach the finish, right? Like, how do you, I talk with other producers quite a bit that, you know, how do you recognize, particularly when they might be more of a neophyte, or somebody transit, oftentimes when you work in the indie realm, somebody who's been successful in one aspect of certain types of story wants to try something else and they bring it to you. And sometimes there are reasons why they haven't ventured out of that safe space to to more of an experiment experimentation realm. Um, so the first thing is like, are they actually someone with a completion urge? Right? Like I'm trying to figure that that out. And what is their own energy to it? Because I know that it will always take longer than what they suspect. The common thing often for me is somebody telling me, okay, just for the sake, it's January. We want to shoot by the end of the year. We know we're not done yet in the script. Will you help us get it, get us there and find the financing and package it, Ted? And when I say yes, I'm already in, I'm not saying I'm adding two years to the process. But I know like that's really going to be the case. And so I'm trying to understand that they're there. And because of it, that next piece is like, am I going to enjoy my time with this person having drinks and coffee and dinners and Zooms and meetings? Are they going to be someone that that I feel are enriching my life, right? And, and that I feel good about being with as a person, Right. Which isn't to say that um, I work with a handful of difficult people. I, I don't shy away from difficult people. I find like I love somebody that is 
rigid on making the best thing they can possibly make. And that generally makes them difficult, quote unquote, um, along the way. But I do want to feel good about them as somebody I spend time with and how they think and what their values are and all of that. So like, how do I assess that? And have you also at this point, obviously, if you've gotten to the point of having a, a drink with them or to to assess if you click and if this is going to work as a partnership, you must have had some spark towards that material, right? Is there something inside the script for our writers that um, you as a producer are looking for in the storytelling? Well, th- there there is bo- both, you know, if I'm saying like, let's just say I feel like it's going to take me three years in development and two years to get it made, right? I have to think that I'm going to still be sparking with ideas through those five years time, right? Like there, there isn't a place to stop in any of it, the writing, the filmmaking, the finessing, the positioning. So I want to have new ideas on a constant basis. And I have to feel that this material has that wealth. Um, I'm somebody that that loves complexity. I recognize that most nuance, nuance and particularly in the film uh, itself and what you present is going to be lost on most people that uh, most people because the speed of which stories unfold and the sensory overload of, of cinema aren't going to be looking for all the same clues that I am. I've had to learn that really the hard way. I will always lean towards nuance and then you just kind of recognize at a certain point the audience isn't seeing the same difference between this scene and that scene. They equate them. They're not challenging it and you can't chase that. But that nuance and complexity is what's going to keep me being strong. I think everyone I know would agree like the two hardest bits of the process is reading new drafts and watching new cuts. That's really, really hard to come in with beginner's eyes with full heart and soul and see it for the first time every time you turn the page or, or you know, uh, turn off the lights to watch. You know, how do you how do you keep that alive? I have a whole host of themes that that attract me. Right. And, you know, like I, I do believe that, like, as a professional, not the amateur side from the heart, as a professional, I always need to speed up my recognition processes, the, the ways which I know again, recognize um, that this is right for me and I'm going to do a good job. And I, you know, that's factored in with for me to do a good job, I'm all, I always have to be learning. I always have to be experimenting. So I'm looking at the material in whatever pass I received it in and asking myself, like, what's it going to look like when we start to unpack it and go deeper and deeper and deeper, right? So, um, so it has to have I that believe- richness and complexity or you're going to run out of steam pretty quickly. So these are not black and white uh, uh, ideas or thematics. They're complex and no one answer, I would think. And they're ongoing. There's yeah. a uh, that I don't think most people um, I would even argue should know. But I think most people don't know in those early drafts of the script yet 
what really are all the themes that generally speaking, when I read a script and I try to do my, my process and dive, I'll come up with somewhere between 15 and 30 themes that we can look at for the movie that we are working to try to, to structure. And I don't think we have to get it down to one, mind you, like, no, do I think it's an A and a B? I would be much more inclined to say A, B, C, D, and E, but we're not going to really be storytelling um, uh, probably the the latter three, we're going to be, that's going to be more within the aesthetic of what we're doing. And it's for only those that are the deep fans, but it's those deep fans that's going to give a project its long life, right, a- along the way. But to, to then think, like, what what happened for me, like, to to jump into a, a parenthetical uh, rabbit hole um, was I I always had a very story character theme related development process. I had partners that were also committed to that in the development. We, we balanced each other well, and we would work the script uh, from that. And I kind of looked at that always as what producers do. Right. You know, try to make sure that what the intent of the author and that can be multiple people is is landing on the page, helping to develop expectations for for the audience and can ultimately be tracked. We can say this is where we think the audience is. When I started collaborating as an executive with many producers, I found that incredibly lacking. Right, that the producers, um, and not necessarily be cut by by their own design, uh, were often lacking at that kind of deep knowledge and understanding of the script, and they frequently weren't even interested in developing it. Right, and I I felt like I always like one of the problems to solve, as I see in the film business, is how to lift the good into the great. Great i.e. genius, I think is always there. There are those that are going to do it, right? And there are those that are going to do it maybe one or two times. There are those that are going to do it 15 times. But that's a set group. And frankly, they don't really need too much of my help, right? But there's an ever-expanding group of folks who actually are really good, who can deliver that C plus, B minus, B, maybe even B plus thing. But we haven't developed the processes to get them there. And that's where I think a team effort often exists to to bring it to that next step. How do we do that? And I find it interesting that as, you know, um, a industrialized cultural enterprise, we haven't tried to get those refinements processes in place to lift things up. And so that's what I, when I uh, went back to independent producing, really wanted to do with my projects. How do we put the time in to to make it from what's already really good into that much better? And the challenge of that, I think, is that we are such a results-oriented, such a uh, speed-oriented, um, accomplishment-oriented industry and, and uh, culture that 
if you speak openly about the amount of time that's required, you know, uh, and who that's really for, because it's still film in the film industry, I think is still generally one that's focused on concept. We go to see what we already think we want and know, right. As opposed to just the execution of it. And um, so there's a argument, particularly in corporate halls, that, you know, you don't have to hit that fine target. Far better to like aim for the thing that has a big, easy, you know, goal in mind. And if you deliver 80%, you basically get the same audience as if you delivered 95%. But the type of work I love that shows, you know, humanity and the specificity of that individual and their lived experience within it requires that incredible refinement, right? And the beauty of it when it's delivered is I think it lasts across time, right? It, it has, a, it's not disposable, which is what I feel a lot of it is. So how do we develop the processes for indie film, for that which is driven by passion to bring out that specificity in a way that still lands and then gives the, the the work, the legs to live for eternity. That's That to me is like a good question for everybody. Yeah. So I do not have the answer to that, but I was really intrigued by your idea of completion urge and that that's what you're looking for in a writer. So what are, you know, that's okay. Do I want to spend time with this person? Do they have completion urge? Like, are they going to get the work done? Are they going to communicate with me about what their blocks are and all that? What kinds of questions are you asking a writer who say brings you that B script? Like it's in there, you can see it. So like you sit down with them after you've read their script. Tell us about that conversation. Well, uh, I think it begins... With, with kind of, you know, let's say those 15 things that I've kind of warmed to and when I've read the script, all these different things that I think that can be explored. I'm going to talk about what those themes are, right? And I'm going to have it as a conversation, right? That's a long conversation, right? That I would argue that's probably six to eight hours of discussion, right? And you can't tell somebody, I want to have a preliminary conversation with you for eight hours. Right. I have to say that sounds dreamy. Someone yeah. reads my script, does all this work and pulls all these things that maybe I don't even know I'm aware of because that happens too. And then you want to talk to me about my script and my work and my journey with this project, possibly as a whole writer and creative for all day. I mean, yeah. I hope there are snacks, but like, <laughs> yes, that that's like a dream kind of yes. So I, I mean, I would love it. Maybe other writers wouldn't, but that would be very exciting. What I'd be looking for, for the writer's perspective is what have you, how are you seeing this project in a way that maybe I didn't see, but also challenging me in terms of things that you notice in terms of like, okay, structurally, maybe there's a, something's broken here and you're not fully pushing through this one theme here, like working through my blocks. Is that something you do? Well, Yes, but interesting on how you you raise it, because I feel that, you know, we are. We, we, we made a determination 
determination as a industry and a culture that foregrounded for lack of a better term storytelling right plot first right and then you know a lot of times people say that indie is character specific and and driven second right but the question of the thematic right and then the structure and form are way in the back right and i actually like to move that stuff forward because i think we make wrong choices in the end uh, if we don't understand where we want to you know head to and drive to so th- th- and i think that there is you know both a logic but also an impulse and something that is for lack of a better term more mystical right where where we have a feeling like i i love what you said that you know Jane Fonda's no is a is a full sentence, full conversation, I would I would say that it took me as somebody who likes to pry and poke and unravel and try to put back. It it took, you know, it, it was a long time in my career before someone said, Ted, I know the answer to this. And it believe me, like my eyes are actually starting to water just saying this, but believe me. When I, I say like it is my driving force of why I want to make this movie, and if I tell it to you and I share it to you, it's going to unravel. And so I'm going to ask you not to ask me about that again. Trust me that it's there, and know that it's a driving piece because that puzzle, that thing that is driving me forward, is in every detail of what I'm telling, and you're going to feel it, right? And your mystery as to what it is, you know. Like it's germane to me personally, but the mystery of what that is and why we care so much about something, which is, you know, generally love and loss and, you know, and hopes and dreams. um, We all will feel, we will all feel that, but the expression of it, Ted, I'm not, I don't have to share. And I, I accept that often. Like when I begin a process I said, you know, like, it's so important that one, it's a safe space and you can share anything, you know, that it's between us. And two, you have to also say that, like, I've got this now. Like, I'm like, because I've done these processes that, you know, literally are probably close to 40 plus hours of time. And at other times with people, you're five hours in and they're like, I'm ready to go and I don't need any more of this. Well, because your and, brain does start to fry after a while. Yeah. If I an eight hour conversation, I wouldn't be able to do it. I'd be like, OK, let's do two hours and then break and then come back tomorrow and I have to process. I mean, it's oh, I can't even do that. I know. Like I spread it out. It's it, got to be spread two out. Two hours yeah. maximum. See, I'm all like, hours, let's get in the pool in and freeze no, to death all day and then climb out and collapse like and let it all swim around yeah well, Ted, i just i want to go back to what you said about um i'm assuming the creator who can say to you i need you to trust me that it's in here and i don't want to articulate it is a well-known pr- pr- uh, proven creator um because i do remember when we were at the sundance lab working together on those projects which are all more emerging um, or have done one feature or so projects. Um, we were very diligent, and I don't think we planned this, but you and I were very diligent about trying to help them articulate what this is about so that we knew how to help them develop it, because otherwise we would develop it into something else that it isn't, that there's no way for me to help you 
get to where you want to go unless there's some kind of articulation, even just a pot, even if it's not the thematic. I know this is somehow about redemption. I need a word. I need something or we're going to turn it into something that it's not. You might get very excited about it because it seems good. But then when you go to write it, you won't be able to. Um, do you remember that process? I mean, you might I don't know. You've done so many, but um, and that's where I brought up Jody's definition of this, which is the big, beautiful idea in here. You know, she always would ask that. Like you had to articulate it to her. Any writer or director I walking it was in, yours. no, it was ah. Jody's. She would always. That's you had to articulate it to her. What is the big beautiful idea in here? No, I think that's different when you're going to an actor and you're further down the road. You've done 15 drafts or something. So certainly at the beginning, I would have deep respect for somebody who can't articulate it yet. But don't you think at some point they well, have to be able two, to articulate it's it? It's two steps and two different things actually. In that, um. I, I do believe in process, you know, like you can go down the wrong road um, and spend a fair amount of time. And that's not wasted time to then have solved why that isn't the right path. And you go back because there was something in that path that pulled you towards it, that gave you some confidence and you need needed to explore it because you need that conviction later and on every page and in every decision, particularly if you're a writer director, that's going to go forward. The Ted, Ted, you need to trust me moment is much more on the, the why it's something matters to you personally, right? To, to understand, like I, I'm looking for the, that commitment to get you through the next five years. And if something you're saying to me, I don't think is within your experience and, um, as you've shared, as you've shared, and yet it has like some form of logic flaw that is being presented on the page, I'm going to be pushing. And that's when that came up. But the, the, the person that shared that with me was a first timer that has proven themselves to be a great artist, you know, and, um, kind of operating on different principles than many of the folks within our industry does. And I find that super fascinating. Like you can see the personal, for me, I can see the personal in their work, even though it's not necessarily, it feels distance from their lives. Um, How do you know though, if you were working with a, a newer person that they're saying, I don't need to articulate it is avoidance because they are not wanting to go into that heat. I, I think it's the dedication of everything else, right? Like I think, yeah, it, you, you, that a lot of times, and this is why I like time and process. A lot of times people are practicing avoidance and you clock it and you are going to say like, how am I going to come back to this? Right. Cause what you're trying as a creative uh, collaborator is, you know, you're trying to problem solve. You know, you're trying to inspire and, you know, sometimes you go over the wall, sometimes you go through the wall, sometimes you go under the wall. And I'm willing to do all of that. And I try to be sensitive to like, OK, now's not the right time. The great breakthroughs are timing. Right. So you like a lot of like what it's interesting. Like I someone say, what is what are you trying to do in your career in terms of development? Right. And it's develop pattern recognition, develop a sustainable practice, engineer serendipity, 
it's things like this that you're trying to to do and find that secret alphabet of connection between all of us, right? Like I'm a big believer that the the more specific an individual and truth emotionally truthful you deliver, the more universal it gets, which is often like totally taking us into terrain that we haven't been in before but recognizing what is our shared humanity in that process, you know? Um, what do you mean by pattern recognition? You've mentioned this before. What is that when you're talk- talking creatively? It's too much time in the Amazon zone, I guess. Right. But, but, you know, that, <laughs> what, what are the circumstances that we've been in uh, that, that lead to uh, repeated results and how do we use those to our advantage, right? So I believe that if you wanna have a sustainable and generative life, um, creative life, mind you, a sustainable and generative creative life, that uh, there, there are certain things that are gonna serve you really well to, to be able to, to have the endurance for the long run and a regular output. And like, to me, I'm a big believer in that generative piece, because I think you have to be willing to do bad work that you probably don't even hide in your sock drawer. You you lock it up, you burn it, put it in a locked safe in the back of your sock drawer, never to come out again. Um, but uh, and you and that's like an important piece to, to have. You know, and you're going to find the better way to apply those quote failures to something later where they fit. And, you know, it's not a it's not a loss. But. To me, like where that starts is a uh, practice of observation of trying to look at your world, your community, your industry, your relationships your personal circumstance, right? And the essentially, you know, the system that encompasses all of that. Trying to capture that and understand that and see that clearly. And then to do the same thing for those that you are, things you are passionate about, right? I think it's a super helpful exercise for folks to say, all right, in no more than five sittings and hopefully less than five sittings, I'm going to write out a hundred different things that I love, right? I'm going to write that down. And then when I'm done, I'm going to write one to two sentences on each of them. However, that matters to me, right? And we're not going to just list the people or the foods or our favorite albums, right? Like we're going to try to keep them distinct from each other. All of these hundred things. Give me an example. Can you give us one example? If we're not listing our our food and our home and our people. Well, I, I would I would say, yeah, like, okay, Miles Davis. Um, I love drinking coffee out of this glass, which is a thin-lipped glass without handles, which is small. So it so like it doesn't overheat, doesn't get too cold. I pour it out of a very specific thermos. Um and that glass and the process, you know, I do a, mm-hmm. a a pour over glass carafe. I really enjoy all of that process. It's meditative to me. You know, it, it's really important. And I feel at home in my space when I do it. 
you know, I I love that. It's beautiful. I have a lot of hummingbirds around my house. Just sometimes they get into the house. My wife seems to be the one that that has to always capture them and free them again. But hummingbirds are so remarkable, right? You, every time I look at them, I'm like amazed at, at that at them. You know, um, the, I mean, these are the I love what it. You're, what you're talking about is specificity, right? You're somebody who loves this particular glass for these reasons and how it makes you feel. So when you're writing, you want to imbue your imbu imbue. How do you say that word? <laughs> I like imbue. Let's just do use that. Put in imbu is probably a better way. Imbu is better. Imbue. <laughs> I'm very well read. I just don't know how to say things. Um, or I'm, uh, whatever. Um, they used to say that I had dyslexia of the mouth. <laughs> oh, I call that logeria, where it's just a vomit word vomit. No, yeah. mine, mine was like just scramble, like like scrambling the word, like what. Like we you put them gonna, in a we're having order, a great conversation fun. here. We're having two different, but <laughs> what you're talking about is like you have a character who finds such value and peace and centered grounding in this particular glass for these particular reasons. And then the specificity of that, like as you were talking, I was like, yes, I love this mug because of its oh. weight and what it has a picture of me on it, you know, and how I, how I am in my family. Like it gives me a certain feeling just like other coffee mugs I have give me a certain feeling. And, and sort of when you're a, a character doesn't just get some coffee, there's a specific mug or a specific way they have a relationship with that coffee that tells us who they are. And I, I think it's such a great exercise that you suggest. I'm teaching a class tonight and I'm like, I'm going to have them do this. I'll give you credit, of course. But it's fine. It's great. Uh, everything yeah. I have is to be stolen and, and <laughs> used for better people, better advantages. But, but to kind of tie it together, like, and how it gets to pattern recognition is a little bit like these things become aspects of, for lack of a better term, again, mantras of sorts, right? Like one of the things that really helped me in my creative uh, work was defining for myself what I felt were the qualities of better film, the qualities in cinema that lift something from good to great, mediocre to magnificent. What are those things? And it was a three-year conversation with my uh, with Vanessa, who became we got married soon after. Uh, where you know I had someone that was interested in this too, and we could we could parse it out. And that initial list that I did was thirty-two qualities, which I found curious later because that was you know. Uh, you know, Mozart and, and Beethoven also found 32 qualities of how you elevate a mediocre waltz into something magnificent. I kept going because as much as I'm a completist and have that completion urge, I, I somehow think that we still can, you know, fi find the full list of what all those things are. But I also find it playful for myself. But the main thing was once I had that list, and had worked so hard on it. And it's available on the internet. You can uh, find it. Um, I think it's on my original Hope for Film uh, website. But um, it, be it became a way that I could look at a script, look at what was happening on set, look at a cut of a film, look at a finished film. And when I, because frequently it'd be like 
you feel that thing bump up against you, but you're not sure why it's not working for you. And by having that list, it was kind of a checklist that I could go through and say, oh, it's in this. And extending that practice forward to start to find the things that spark for me, the things that I love, the processes, the themes, capturing these things that we care about, right? And and trying to organize them and pond, give us the time to ponder them, I think help us in our creative processes to see both what we're aiming for, what might be the missing step along mm-hmm. the way and how else we want to structure. But even more than that, to me, it is all of those things that give it that complexity and nuance, specificity that becomes profoundly interesting for mm-hmm. me in the the five years of endeavor of bringing something to the screen, right? Like like each one of those, like I was having a conversation with an executive today about a project that, um, you know, what, what I, what attracted me to it and what we were aiming for. Cause we, you know, we still have a ways to go. And it was how um, I find it so fascinating what I would call the forces of chaos and control often enable the opposite of what they are intending, right? So control leads to chaos, chaos leads to control. And I I find that- Okay, we, you just broke my brain with that statement. <laughs> you know, by the way. One step further, <laughs> because I actually think the things that enable this, right? And I, it was something I've known for a long time. And so I was saying like, obviously we can't say this is a studio pitch or we're going to put it on the poster, but it's one of the things that why I'm excited about it. What I think enable it quite often are the, the, the structures such as family, government, you know, society and our natural push pull, yin yang, whatever we want to say within that often is why we rebel against sometimes the things we love most. And I find it really fascinating place to dwell. And so like in this instance, you know, I would call it more like the the fifth theme of what we're exploring in the movie, but why I think it's so rich. And even though I've worked on it for two years now, I am happy to say like, whatever it takes, I'm gonna get there because we find new things on a weekly basis, you know, but you have to, you have to kind of capture that before. Like I, I've already captured that as a theme that I like. And then seeing the small things of, you know, when a parent tells a child not to do something and you know, they're really saying like, I've got to stop doing this myself. Right. And you see like, cause I don't want you to become what I am now. Right. Like that's a sentence in a blink of an eye in a moment. But if we can feel that again, like my eyes well up. Right. You know, like parents want something better for their kids, you know, and often they they lead a discipline that either is going to cause reinforce that circle of abuse or what have you has trapped them or might finally say, like, I'm never going to let myself do that ever again. I have an emerging writer question. I'm thinking of all our listeners 
who are listening to what a generous producer you are and how much you're willing to get in the weeds with your writers and spend time with them in development. And it leads to, I think, a tricky conundrum that emerging writers sometimes face, which is that we hear, don't let anyone see your work until you've redrafted it a hundred times and it's perfect and you know it's ready, but also put yourself out there and get your work up on its feet. And it's just so interesting to me, if I had the chance to send you my material, my brain would be saying, spend 20 years on it before Ted sees it. Don't let it like, but I'm also hearing you say, I'm okay with a C plus draft. If I know that writer has voice, I'm not exactly asking a question here, but I would love to hear you weigh in. Cause I wonder if some of our emerging writers brains are doing the same thing mine is right now. Well, yeah, I think there is a clear question, right? You know, who do you give your material to and when do you give your material to them? Right. Personally, I think that as an independent producer, you kind of had to get to the place and it should take you a while to get there that you can manage 25 projects, but you can't manage more than 25 projects, right? The reason you kind of need to manage 25 projects is you need to be able to make at least one and ideally two movies a year. And I think that it, it we you know, each movie is going to be a minimum of three years and um uh you know you need about eight shots for every movie to get made because different things happen this actor said yes they're no longer available they're no longer looking for this they have a competing project you know like that that to me is the the math probably if you want to have a sustainable career you have to get to that 25 projects by say like year five of your regular working career, right? It's going to take you a little while to get to that place. But once you know as a producer that you have a feasible sustaining life, you want to be building that, right? It's super hard to get there. But like that's the volume that I work at. So I really don't have room to take on anything new, right? I have room when something falls out, right? Or gets made. Right. Like those 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 things occur. And I generally have stuff that I want um, or filmmakers that I want to work with. I do process, you know, uh, basically like there's three categories of work. This is that these are active projects that we're turning drafts in on a regular basis. This is deep development more in kind of the assessing where where uh, we are. And this is super early stage where I'm acquiring the rights to stuff that takes way too long. You know, it takes a, you know, like the, the great American novel has become a option agreement. And I don't understand why everything takes too long. We have to fix that process because it doesn't serve anybody um, along the way. But it, the, the fact that clearing rights takes so, so damn long now, I put that in a separate category. Um, because experienced producers often already have built a bit of a, of a slate, you do need to find ways to kind of work the farm team. There are like other producers who um, often want to work with me who are keeping me abreast of the work that they're doing. And they're saying they want to get it to this place and they understand the, the workload. Like, you know, I, I feel badly. Like sometimes I've accepted a script because I've said I, I, I was curious about it. And because of the incoming drafts and other professional responsibilities, 
a year has gone by and I haven't read that script. I just want to shoot myself and quit the business as a, as a result of ever having to say yes. You know, so, you know, the, the questions to me for the incoming writers, how do you evaluate, how do you put yourself in that producer's shoes and put yourself in the most favorable position? Personally speaking, I love when somebody has already a collaborating team, as long as they're um, open people. Some people try to hold the relationship as primary, and I don't think that works well for anybody. And once I get a sense of that, I kind of want to walk away. But if there is a collaborating team that has gone through some things and needs further support and help, I welcome that. And whatever work somebody has done to find their vision is always positive, even if it's not complete or it might go go in a wrong direction or they didn't have the proper tools. Um, you do get no true, you know, you get one chance to have someone read your first draft. I've I've worked there's a Oscar winning um, screenwriter I worked with who said to me. Uh, they only wanted me to read it and they wanted when anyone else to look at it for them to think that it was the first draft. So they wanted to know that I would work with them. Like we structured a deal. So like it benefited them to, you know, if they created a project that they thought was going to actually get green light, green lit, their quote would go up on their, you know, production bonus. Right. And so they were willing to do all the work and, you know, three, four drafts, that never quote got submitted to the studio, um, you know, were all the first draft. And so when the first draft went inside into the agency, you know, to go to the studio, the agency went gaga and wanted to throw every, all their top talent at this script. Like, my God, this is the first draft. And it was quote that draft that it got greenlit and got all the attachments that made the movie happen, but it was engineered around the idea is how do we make sure that when people look at it, they look at it as this is the first draft and wow, we've solved all the problems, you know, and it was keeping other people's eyes away and with a trusted collaborator. Right. Because I remember when I worked for Jody, we would develop a project and go through multiple, multiple drafts. But I know that when I'm handing it to Jodie Foster, even if she's not going to act in it or direct it, but she's a producer and she has she reads scripts at a certain level. As long she's still going to say it's a mess, but right, I love this piece and this, and now there's enough there to take it and bring that level of of reader in because we got close enough. I mean, to me, uh, Ted, you. You are a certain level of reader. So when you say I want younger or or other collaborators, they're doing that churn of getting it to a place that if there's a clarity to the thematic and the idea and how it works with the storytelling that, you know, and it's funny because as the writer, you're like, oh, my God, I've, I've already done like 10 drafts and or eight drafts. And now now we're starting. And the answer is yes. Now we're starting because we have the movie. And I think for emerging writers, when you don't have access to all these layers and levels of readers, it can get complex and hard. You almost have to develop them yourself. That's why you have writers groups and things to help you get to a level. And now it's time you could launch to the next level. Right. Um, I think when people say don't give something 
until it's perfect. They're talking about the Ted Hope level. Like I would not give the Ted Hope level something unless it's really been worked, right, and vetted. And then I trust you. I, I don't know Ted that well, but I'm going to guess he's still going to be like, great, we can start. <laughs> and and then like the truth is like when you then start, say, to submit to a studio or something along those lines, that's a whole other process, too. Yeah. yeah. You know, and you see sometimes how the system that we've developed might get in the way of actually ma- making that happen, that, you know, that. There's a benefit to having the script sent in, I think, by agents, but it also cuts back, you know, because it shows his business and people are, are there, but it cuts back on the dialogue of trying to hear, like, I want to hear that smart executive's thoughts of immediately what they've read and what worked and where they think the barrier is. And I want to hear it with my ears, not through another, yeah. another set of hands yeah. that will, you know, can't help but color it with the whatever they favor. Yeah, this this is my biggest. I have two big things that I hate the where it's developed in the industry. One is that they're responding and giving notes to my agent, and I don't understand why. Why aren't they calling me? Why are they giving notes on story to my agent? Like I don't even get it. It's not talk to me. Let me dig into your brain. Let me let me let's get but i just don't think executives at studios right now and maybe i could be wrong are developers they're not they're they're kind of giving i don't know i don't even know why that's happening maybe we can talk about it and i and i hate the ghosting when they when they pass they just kind of ghost and leave which i've said that so many times on this podcast you guys are bored but uh i i just don't know why the agents and again i don't think my agents are inserting themselves i don't have that sense at all Uh, it's just this new thing that's happening well i would say um, and I credit Vanessa, my my spouse, uh, on this for really giving me this theme that I love in work, but I love it in practice too, which is us in the system and the system in us, right? How does that get manifest? And in the film business, what we're experiencing, which I think is kind of part of the, the real disruption beyond technology, although fueled by it, is how what was once a cultural industry based upon scarcity has become a much larger industry that's built around abundance. And how do we manage for that? Because I would say that in all of the professional ranks, right, they they are understaffed, right? They're understaffed in the executive suites. Now, you, that a lot of people would disagree with me on that for a variety of reasons, but I actually think they have way too much on their plate. And what should be not a transactional business, but should be a cultivation business. We should be farmers, right? Not, not just harvesters, right? That um, because of that, uh, they, 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 they move everything like what, most development offices are our PR agencies, right? To keep the relationship with the creative community so that they might get the thing that's even better, right? And I felt that that from the immediate time I started working as a script reader when I in my early 20s, right? Like it's wait a second. They actually don't care about most of these projects whatsoever. They want to figure out is this person going to deliver something better later? And how do I service them so that it comes to me first, right? And there's a big piece of that. And then the, the second thing is because they they have way too many 
executives that have somewhere between 80 and 125 projects, I, I would assume on their, you know, purview um, that they're tracking. And, you know, because of that, they they just see everything as a transaction. And it's like, yeah, like if you don't get back to me within two weeks of that pitch, yeah, it means you're not buying it. <laughs> Probably means that if you if you don't get back to me in three days, it means you're not buying it. I get it, right? Yes, I would like to be human. I would like you to treat me as human. I would like you to show that you value my relationship. And I would like to see that you believe that by us working together, you sharing what you think is important and I share what's important, we will get to something better. But they don't really even value themselves to that. They're, they're filters and funnels, right? You know, And the fact is, they all got great education. They all started because they love cinema. They all think about it all the time, right? Like, give me some of you. Put yourself on the line too, you know, but that's not what our industry is right now. And it's because I think of the abundance. We're in that abundance. But how we find ways to to make that work better will determine what the next 10 years of creative enterprise looks like. I will say there are some executives who do what you're talking about. Yes, absolutely. There are some. There are some. No, I got to talk to like one of my, like somebody that, that I've always admired and respected for their story insights today. And it was such delight to get to talk to that person. Like, wow, like I want that every day. I was like, come, let, let me develop with you. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's really my point is I yeah. want more of my the I want what is your insights? You've made move like what is it they're looking for? What what is lacking? Where are we hitting the wall? What uh, I love that conversation. That's half of the reason I want to do this, because I love that it back and forth and interaction of digging and insight. So I, I, I miss it when I don't get it, when it becomes a call to the agent. I just feel mournful. Well, about it feels it. prescriptive instead of um, sharing in the process. Creative. Right. Yeah. Like if you, yeah. Which is what we. And want. I also understand they might be thinking, well, you're the you're the mm -hmm. writer, you know, <laughs> but I'm like, OK, I don't know. I well, miss it. I love that part of well, the process. I I, I think like a, a question always and to me, this starts like with every script, like in what the, the creative process is, is how do you plan for longevity? You have to ask yourself how not to get jaded. What you're expressing on each of those is folks have gotten jaded, right? And really, we're in the job of delighting our audiences. That's what we have to do, right? And how do you keep firing on that? Well, first of all, I think you can't get jaded, right? So in questions of like what you have to determine to have a sustainable and generative creative life, one of the first things I think you want to ask yourself is what is it that I have to do so that in 15 years time, that's a long distance, but short, because you're going to have at least three of those games, I think, um, that that what is it you have to do so you don't, so you feel even better about all that you're doing and the world you're living in and the industry you're part of uh, than you do today, right? You have to keep that spark al alive. Right. You know, and I think that for most people, it's going to start with things like do no harm. Right. But obviously, we've seen lots of people who seem to get off on that on the opposite of that 
too within our industry, you know, but I think for a lot of people like you're doing those things, like I want to be, you know, the golden rules of life. I want to be treated as I would treat anybody else and so on and so forth. But setting those for yourself, right, I think helps you keep a lot of that noise out because like a lot of things that get in the way of writing and then accessing those beginner's eyes, that that celebration of, of unique circumstances, right? It is all like the, like, why are people so fucking horrible? (laughs) (laughs) Like, how do you keep that noise out? You keep that noise out by saying like, I'm not going to put myself in those situations. I'm going to think through what it is that I need. So I get that drive or that walk or the playtime with my family or the walk with the dog or the, you know, uh, you know, whatever favorite food or drink or (laughs) whatever people like to do. Like you need to structure your life because your creative life depends on it, you know? Balance and saying no. I I don't, saying no, I think the balance thing, I I don't really agree. Like people people always say, oh, you got to figure out that work-life balance. I would argue as much as I love my family, as much as all these other things, I want to start, all, all I really want to do is make good, interesting stories and work. And my delight, my personal joy has to be managed. I have to manage that to make those stories, right? Like we don't professionally prioritize that nearly enough. Like I find I laugh more on every single Zoom call I'm on than anyone else on the call, right? You know, you guys are pretty good. Uh, but, 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 and we've but been like, muted, so you haven't heard half of that's it. That's right. We have been. Yeah, we're hysterical the, the whole time. But but that but that's really like a key thing to keep us generative. But that's what it's in service for, for me. Like, I, I want to keep making stuff. It's what I have most fun doing. Um, it what gives me hope and and strength, yeah. and um, and to do that, I have to prioritize my joy. But I do it for my creative processes. I so no, love what I you love said it. about management instead of balance, because balance is an impossible goal. And so I'm setting myself up for failure and disappointment and beating myself and feeling like shit if I give too much time to my family or not enough time to my work. But if it's about management, I feel like I can do that. And I manage it. And I love what you're saying about delight that Mm -hmm. I think that's the little spark I've been missing in terms of diving back into a project is I'm already anticipating all the problems and what won't work and the notes that I'm going to get. And there's too many producers on this project or whatever is happening that my worry brain is like Mm -hmm. already projecting out. I know who knows PTSD, who knows? Right. Uh, Versus what I took this project for a reason. Like I have delight in it. I, I'm not talking tone now. I'm talking my own delight of that potential. You use the word about potential circumstances. And um, yeah, that that's where I have to take the walks or do something to get back to that and took take the rest and manage it out uh, and not not give myself problems I don't actually have, honestly. And, and like, in both I'm of those just making things. them up in my head. I, I agree like so much on both of those things. And I think that they're connected, maintenance and, and delight. And I think that that too often we looked for for understanding too fast. Like, okay, so I like to put little 
dwarfs on the, you know, on the path as I walk. And I like to have, you know, the, the rabbit hole to fall into. I don't know why. I don't think it fits yet, but I'm putting it there. Now I'm reading that script and I'm like, what the hell is this, you know, dwarf and rabbit hole doing here? <laughs> A fair answer to me is I really like dwarfs and rabbit holes and I'm going to figure this out perhaps in the next draft or the other one, or it won't be there. Like, like sometimes like that's going to be the thing that sparks, right? It's just to me, just like planning your walk and planning your drive, right? Like you found these things that you love, you are inserting them into the, the, the process. They give you a reason to look forward to the day and solving it. And you will find the secret code that's there that connects it all as you go forward because again this is like something else i think we we we've gotten distracted for right that um and we talk about this in like workplace politics and you know relationship dynamics right that how you know um women are expected to have already proven themselves in anything they do but we're willing to say the man will still like deliver that everyone is in an act of becoming and every work is in an act of becoming. And that's the pattern recognition that we have to also develop the becoming, the faith in the process, right? There's something more, you know, as, as a friend of mine said to me today, Athena's owl fly, fly, flies at, at night, right? Or flies at dusk. Like, like the wisdom is only going to come later, right? We, we have to be willing to wait for that. But we can structure, we can engineer the serendipity that allows it to fly, right? And the pieces of it, like it's a, uh, you know, the maintenance line, like there was a, in a Kurt Vonnegut's Hocus Pocus, I think it opens like uh, everyone wants to do a build, be a builder and no one wants to do the maintenance, right? You know, and it's like the maintenance is exactly what what's always needed because your best work is still yet to come and you have to get yourself there. So what are all the steps that are needed along the way? And how do we, as your collaborators, always, if not just beginner's eyes, also looking at things in the state of becoming, right? And that's where I think by trying to develop things like pattern recognition, we get more sophisticated in it, particularly if we've been um, rigorous in our efforts to capture those details along the way. What is this world that I'm living in? What is my culture and community? What are the things that delight me? And how do we get there time and time and time again, right? And with that, like I, I think that as much of it's being process-oriented, it's the opposite of formulaic, right? Like yes. you, like. I, I was having another conversation this morning with a collaborator and just say like saying like, how do we infuse the anarchic uh, comedy into all work? Like just the, 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 there's something like I, I find real fun and pleasure in like the things that feel like it's on the verge of. Uh, falling apart. That's a prankster and a trickster. My God, the Beatles and Hard Day's Night. Like, like whatever that feeling. How do you get that that fun chaos into stuff within a studio system that no longer sees that as hip and flavorful? But it's like every time someone sees it, I know they love it. 
you know? Well, I love that because you're really helping me. I think that in listening to you, I'm realizing that I think part of my brain unconsciously has been clamping down on structure all the outside in stuff I have to do in order to deliver this project, be that, you know, if it's a TV thing, what's the story engine? And if it's a genre movie, what are the genre tenants? And, and there's, I think I've sucked the fun out of it. I've sucked the delight. I've I've sucked the curiosity, the discovery, the out of it. And so I think part of this is not writing. And like, I am going to hold in my head the black hole and dwarf because this is the fun of writing. Like, I don't know why there's a dwarf there. I'll figure it out next draft in terms of my own personal process. We're not saying you hand that to a, you know, executive, your own personal process. Let the dwarf be there. Let the like we have on this show all the time. Like we just had, we just recorded, you know, there are wonderful outside in things to think about at a certain point in your draft structurally, you know, reversals, midpoints, blah, blah, blah. All of that is super important. I am not taking that away, but it's not the creative process. The creative process is there's a dwarf standing in a black hole. I don't know why, because it's a dream. It's a dream that's coming up. And I'm just so invigorated with the thought that I can do this. Like, why do I think that on my on the first draft that I'm doing this with my husband, that he and I have to create the thing? No, we don't. We can actually put a dwarf there with a black hole and it doesn't matter because we're just going to explore. I don't know. I'm invigorated. I really appreciate yeah. it. I really appreciate it. Yeah. I'm really excited about this idea of being able to manage. I, I, I don't know why it never occurred to me, you know, mental illness is something you manage. Physical illness is something you manage. I, I mean, I don't want to think about my writing as being an illness, but let's be real. But like, yeah, I'm never going to achieve balance. It, it's about managing, managing my time and managing my expectations around, like you said, Beck, like what is the assignment? And right now, as I start this new project, my assignment is joy and delight and fun. And whatever the fuck comes up, I get to yes, write it let's down. Let's do that. I am so lucky that this is my job. I mean, you know, exactly. eventually it will get paid No, but for we are. Someday, like our right? job like, is we're yeah. allowed to say there's a black hole and dwarf. Like yeah. how cool of a job is that? Like yeah. I literally, I've gotten too down into the job job of it. And that's not the fun part. Um, yeah. So I we're going to go on and on. We do have to wrap <laughs> it up. We have, see, Ted, I'm sorry. We're just going to keep you here forever. Yeah. We have a whole lot. I want to put a, like a okay, tag go. on what, what okay, you do were, it. Were, were saying, because I, I, I think that, that some of what we're talking about is a privileged position after a lot, lot of experience, right? Yeah. Because it is the mechanics of everything that allows the work to get done. And it is the repetition, you know, through repetition, you know, we, uh, in instinct, you know, we, we can, through that repetition, we we learn how to solve all these problems and it becomes instinct and it's centered within us. You know, structure, right? You, you know, character arcs, you know, you, you know, all of these different the genre tenants, right? It helps to have them down, I think, to kind of give a refresher course sometimes. Like I'm going to read my genre ten commandments before I, you know, uh, begin work on this. But it's inside you already because you've done that that work. That is part of the process of getting there. Much harder is how to to keep that openness, delight, joy, becoming you know, a comfortability with the unknown. The, like I would argue our lack of acceptance in the unknown 
is where most of our societal uh, you know, problems start to come from. Like, why do we need to answer the unknown, right? Like, it's actually pretty fun. Like, I like to go into a world, I'm not sure what's happening next. But yet we try to get rid of the unknown and we, we st start to structure our lives so we have less and less of it. And I'm saying like, that's where you wanna bring that in and not see it as your enemy, right? right. But see it as your tool and, you know, uh, plaything. Absolutely. It's so helpful for me right now because I have been seeing it as my enemy and it's shutting me down uh, versus the delight. Man, the dwarf in the black hole. Can I wait? <laughs> Can I wait? You make a t-shirt. <laughs> Is it like a garden gnome? That's what I keep saying. Well, it worked for, for Emily. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you That's so much for being here. Um, we're going to ask our last three questions in the next uh, episode, I think, uh, yeah. because that'll be our, our wrap up with you. But thank you so much. And thank we I, we can't wait, Ted, for the next for the next episode. Yeah. Great. Super fun. Thank it you. It was really fun with you guys, too. So thank you all. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning into this week's episode of the show. Part one of our conversation with producer Ted Hope. As Lori mentioned at the top, we are back next week with part two. So make sure you're subscribed, stay tuned, and the rest of our conversation will be dropping in your feeds in exactly one week. See you then.